Well, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we are in verses 24 through 26 this morning. Again, if you're visiting with us, we have pew Bibles that you can use, the red Bibles. It's a different version than I read from, uh, but uh, you can follow along with me there. And, and if you don't have a Bible, again, we would love to give you a Bible if, if you don't have one. The large numbers in the Bible are the chapter numbers, so that Matthew 16, that large number is the chapter, and then the small numbers are the verses, and we're in, we're in the big number 16, and the small numbers 24 through 26. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that we can read and preach through Matthew's Gospel and we just happen on this day to come to these verses. We pray, Lord God, that we would hear what You want us to hear. Lord, we confess that we are poor and needy. We're we're poor and needy as hearers. I'm a poor and needy preacher. Lord, we confess that unless Your Spirit works in us, uh, we will profit nothing. And so, Lord, we invite You to come. We invite you to come for Jesus' sake, not because we're worthy of you coming, not because we deserve it, not because we've lived good enough this week or in our lives for you to come, not because we've been a faithful church. Lord, but we ask that for Jesus' sake, you would pour out your Spirit upon us in power and allow us to hear from you. Allow me to speak what you want our church to hear and help us to receive it, Lord. You've ordained that I be the pastor of this church In 2023, on February 19th, you've ordained for everyone who's here to be here this morning. You've ordained that this be the passage we hear from you this morning. And and we ask, oh God, that you would work for your glory in our midst. And do exceedingly above and beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. In making us more humble. In making us more self-denying. In making us more willing and eager to die to self God, in making us all that you want us to be as followers of Jesus. So God, please, God, work for Jesus' sake. Amen. Last week, we saw Jesus turn the minds of His disciples to His work, His his death, the fact that He would suffer on the cross. And Peter declared His person... uh, uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He's the Savior, that He's the God-man, is He's the one who would come to save His people from their sins. And, and then Jesus declared His work, that He would die, He would have to suffer. He would save His people from their sins by dying and rising again. We also saw that Peter and the disciples had a lot more to learn about their king, that Jesus would be a suffering king, and Peter had trouble uh, understanding that Jesus would be a suffering Messiah, a suffering king. He, he rejected this and received a stern rebuke from Jesus. Remember, get behind me, Satan. We've got to get Jesus' person and work right, according to the Bible, to faithfully preach Him. Today, in our text, we see Jesus tell His disciples that if they would truly follow Him, they must give Him their full commitment, their full allegiance, and their full loyalty and follow Him in His sufferings. The way up is the way down. The way to glory is humiliation first. The way to true life is death first. The way to find true, lasting, and satisfying, and joyful life is to lose your life first. Jesus 
most essentially is teaching us today that we must follow His path. That if we, we want to be His disciples, we must follow His path. What was His path? A path of love? A path of love. A path of the greatest, deepest love. And what does that path of deepest and greatest love mean? It means suffering. Sister Lena reminds me of this often, that love, love costs. True love costs. True love means suffering. And true love means death. Jesus shows us this. Jesus teaches us the path that we must follow is His path. Philippians 2, 7-11, Jesus made Himself nothing. He made Himself nothing. Taking the form of a slave and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus calls everyone who would follow Him to make themselves nothing. This is self-denial. And take up their cross die to self, and follow Him. We must follow His path, which is the path of greatest love. Beloved, this is the Gospel. You should hear in Jesus' words God's love for you. God's love for sinners. That, that He would take this path. He would take the path of suffering. He would take the path of the cross this most gruesome form of execution, that He would take the path of doing something we will never have to do if we trust Him, which is He took the path of bearing the wrath, the curse of Almighty God, His Father, on the cross and dying that most horrific death that you and I would never face this. That's love. That's the greatest love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the Gospel. And it's worth shouting about. Like we all should respond like that. Woo! God saves sinners. God saves... Jesus loves me that much. It's worth shouting about. It's worth squealing about, crying about rejoicing about that God loves us that much that He would give His Son to die, that Jesus loves us so much that He would say, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. You're, you're trying to, to, to divert me from the path of the cross where I will suffer and die. Satan tried to do the same thing to him. I'll give you everything, Satan said, all the kingdoms of this world if you worship me. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to die for my people. I'm going to die for the glory of my Father. This is love. It's an amazing truth of the gospel that God loves sinners. God loves people who mess up their lives. He loves people who get it wrong time and time again. God loves sinners. Do you know that? Do you know that? You see, the, the Bible teaches that we've all sinned against God. All of us. All of us. From who's in here who thinks they're the greatest to those who are here that feel like they don't even deserve to be here. We're all sinners. We've all broken God's laws. We've all broken God's commandments. We've all sinned against Him. And because we've sinned against God and thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone, we deserve God's wrath in hell forever and ever and ever. Where Jesus says the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. Because God is a good God. He's a holy God. That's what we deserve. But the good news, again, beloved, is God loves sinners. God loves sinners. He loves people that spurned Him and rejected Him and hated Him and spit on Him and hit Him and used and abused Him. 
And Jesus came to die for them. To die for those who hated Him. And to suffer God's wrath and curse and, and rise on the third day. That's why we meet today. Because He rose today. He's our triumphant King. He conquered sin, death, and hell. No one else did that. Buddha, we prayed for Buddhists this morning. There, Buddha died. He can't save anybody. Muhammad died. He can't save anybody. All the other kings and great figures in this world, they, they die or will die. I, I, we saw in the news, right? Jimmy Carter, one of the presidents of the United States, he's entered hospice care. Every president and king, queen, they will die someday. Jesus is the king who died but got up. He got up from the tomb. He conquered sin, death, and hell. And the Bible says if you believe in Him today, if you turn from your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, if you trust in Jesus, He will forgive you. He will save you. You can't work for this. You can't earn it. You can't clean your life up enough. You can't come to church enough. To earn God's love, you can simply receive what Jesus has done for you by faith, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, have you done that? Young people, have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus? We invite you to do that today, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you do that, you enter into a joyful life of denying self for greater joys. I want to make this, this clear throughout this sermon today that God never calls you to self-denial for the sake of self-denial, but He's always calling you to deny yourself a less, lesser good for something infinitely greater. He, he, he's calling you to, if He calls you to give up everything you have, let's remember the rich young ruler, He called the rich young ruler to do that. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and come follow me. What was the rich young ruler worth? What was his net worth? Let's go way out of bounds and say it was a million dollars. Let's say the rich young ruler was worth a million dollars. Jesus says, give that all up and follow me. I'm reading a book by a man who has written lots of books and has made a lot of money on his books, but he doesn't take any money from his books. He gives it all away. He's made $8 million on royalties from the books he's written. And guess how much of that money he's taken for himself? Zero. He gives away all the money he makes from books. His name's Randy Alcorn. He's wrote a little book called The Treasure Principle about how to spend money for the glory of King Jesus. $8 million he's given away because he's storing up treasures in heaven. So if he gives away $8 million, what do you think he's going to get in return? Infinitely more. Jesus doesn't call us to deny self, to just deny self. He's got something so much better that's everlasting. And you can't give away enough. You can't outgive God. He will make up for it. He will make up for it. He will give you more in pleasures in himself. And so Jesus' call this morning is a call to die. To die to smaller, lesser pleasures for greater, infinite pleasures. Martin Luther said, God creates out of nothing. Therefore, until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. Spurgeon said, I have now concentrated all my prayers into one. And that one prayer is this, that I may die to self and live wholly to God. John Piper writes, the way to think about self-denial is to deny yourself only a lesser good for a greater good. And so let's see what Jesus is calling us to do today. Point number one, Jesus calls His disciples to deny themselves. Look again at verse 24 of Matthew 16. Then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself. Jesus had just warned Peter about the satanic danger of setting his mind on the things of men and not on the things of God. Remember verse 23? But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. 
You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was trying to divert Jesus from the way of self-denial, from the way of the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Your Your mind is on the things of man and not on the things of God. To constantly and consistently set our mind on the things of God and not on the things of man, we must deny ourselves. Because we're so prone to set our minds on the things of men. We're so prone to that. And and so Jesus is saying, listen, I've got to go to the cross, Peter. I've got to go, and you've got to go too. To constantly and consistently set our minds on the things of God and not on the things of this earth, the things of man, we must deny ourselves. What does it mean to deny It means to disown. It means to say, I don't know you. It means to say, I have nothing to do with something or someone. It means to renounce commitment, allegiance, and loyalty to something or someone. Deny, in verse 24, is the same word used of what Jesus warned Peter that he would do to him. In Matthew 26, 34, Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And of course, we know Jesus, uh, Peter does that. Matthew 26, 72, he denied it with an oath. He denied that he knew the Lord Jesus. I do not know the man. When Peter was denying Jesus, he was denying that he knew Jesus. He was denying that he had anything to do with Jesus. Peter was saying, I don't listen to Jesus. I don't follow Jesus. I am not committed to Jesus. I give no allegiance to Jesus. I show Jesus no loyalty at all. He denied Him. So when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, we are saying, I do not know Joseph. I'll use myself as an example. My name's Joseph. I do not know Joseph. I have nothing to do with Joseph. I don't listen to Joseph. I don't follow Joseph. I'm not committed to Joseph. I give no allegiance to Joseph. I show no allegiance to Joseph at all. I've utterly and unchangeably transferred my commitment, my loyalty, my allegiance over to another. Namely, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is who I know. Jesus is who I listen to. Jesus is who I follow. Jesus is who I'm committed to. Jesus owns me and all my commitments and loyalties and allegiance. They belong to Jesus. I'm dead to Joseph. Are you dead to yourself? Are you denying yourself and giving all allegiance over to the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus is teaching us today that Jesus must be first. He must be first. He's already told us in Matthew 10 that He must be first even more than family. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37-39, Whoever loves father or mother more than Me is not worthy of Me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than Me is not worthy of Me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow Me is not worthy of Me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a strong passage to think about when we have such a beautiful little baby before us. And yet Jesus says that you must love him more than that little baby. And when you love Jesus first, that's the only way you'll truly love that little baby in the right way. Jesus must be first. Whoever loves self more than Jesus isn't worthy of Him. He must be our first love more than family, more than anything, more than self. We must love Jesus first and foremost. Self-denial is the opposite of self-esteem. Your children have been lied to at their schools that they need self-esteem. We've been lied to in a culture that says build up your self-esteem. You need to learn to love yourself. People absolutely uh, take Jesus' words out of context, love your neighbor as yourself, and say, well, you have to learn to love yourself first. Beloved, that's an evil interpretation of that passage. We love ourselves so much already. Oh, we love ourselves. We love ourselves so much. 
Jesus doesn't call us to love ourselves. He calls us to deny ourselves. Self-denial is the opposite of self-esteem. One author from the Biblical Counseling Foundation writes, the wisdom of this world deceptively teaches that believing in the inherent goodness of oneself is foundational to the fulfilled life. Scripture teaches that a fulfilled life is not dependent of having a good self-image or a higher self-esteem. Instead, fulfillment in living depends on your relationship to God and a biblical response to the problem of self. You see, self is a problem. It doesn't need to be loved. It needs to be crucified. Self needs to be crucified, not loved. I don't know Joseph. When he gets all up in his feelings and starts feeling sorry for himself and woe is me, my life and my problems. Kill that man! Be quiet! Get behind me, Joseph. Let me hear from God. Quit having a pity party. Christ is all. Jesus is everything. Jesus is my God. Jesus will help me. Jesus does the impossible. Jesus loves you. You don't need to love yourself. God loves you. And that's enough. We need Christ esteem. We need Christ esteem, not self-esteem. I love the self-esteem of Paul. Acts 20, 24, but I do not count my life of any value. <laughs> I don't count my life of any value, Paul says, the apostle. I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Oh, poor Paul, Paul, you need a counselor, all this self-hatred. I do not count my life of any value, nor precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Or like Martin Luther said when people started making nominations based after his name, name a denomination after me, a poor stinking bag of maggots. <laughs> That's what he called himself. <laughs> we have to die to self and deny self. Lane says the center of your life changes from a concern for self when you come to Christ to a reckless abandon to the will of God. Al Martin writes, the cross does not give us a minor shift of two, a minor shift or two with regard to a few of our ethical and moral and religious values. The cross radically disrupts the very center and citadel of your life from self to Christ. And if the cross has not done that, you're not a Christian. My friend, face it, you're not a Christian. Until the cross has radically disrupted the very center and citadel of your life and brought you from a life of commitment to serve self, whether it's self-righteous religious self, moral self, covetous self, lustful self, proud self, unforgiving self, lazy self. It doesn't matter what are the focal points of the reign of yourself. If you've gone to the cross in union with Christ, it's been shattered. There's a new king. To deny yourself is to deny everything in you that is opposed to God and His will because Jesus is better. That's what it means to deny yourself. To deny everything in you that is opposed to God and His will because Jesus is better. Betty Scott Stam learned this truth early in life when she prayed a prayer, Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my desires and hopes and accept Your will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to You to be Yours forever. Fill me and seal me with Your Holy Spirit. Use me as You will. Send me where You will and work out Your whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. And God answered her prayer. And she died on the mission field for the sake of getting the gospel to the Chinese people. Jesus not only calls... His disciples and us, notice in the, the verse He says, if anyone, He's not just talking to those before Him, He's talking to us. Jesus calls His disciples to take up their cross. Look at verse 24 again. Then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. 
we can easily forget what the cross is. It's been made a nice, clean religious symbol. We wear it on necklaces. We wear it on earrings and jewelry. We speak of it as a trial. My next door neighbor is my cross to bear. But beloved, remember what the cross was in Jesus' day. It was the most gruesome, painful, torturous way of executing the most evil of criminals. In Jesus' day, they, they did not have a, a law against cruel and unusual punishment. They tried to make punishment as cruel and as unusual and as gruesome and public as they could. So they would strip people naked in a very public place along the road and string them up on a cross and let them die for days. It would take days sometimes for them to die because they wanted to make it as gruesome and torturous and draw it out as long as possible. The cross was a curse word in biblical times. A curse word. You didn't speak of it in polite company. It's like saying, Jesus is, is saying, take up your electric chair. Take up your hangman's noose. Take up your gas chamber. Take up your lethal injection. That's what Jesus was saying when He said, take up your cross. Take up your electric chair. And follow me. One theologian said when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Spurgeon said, you cannot be Christ's servant if you are not willing to follow him, cross and all. What do you crave? A crown? Then it must be a crown of thorns if you are to be like him. Do you want to be lifted up? So you shall. But it will be upon a cross. This call to take up your cross is another way of saying we must die to self. We must take up our instrument of execution. We must die. One author writes, when you are forgotten or neglected or purposely considered as nothing and you sting and hurt with the insult or the oversight, but your heart is happy, being counted worthy to suffer for Christ, that is dying to self. When what you do that's good is spoken of as evil and you love the person anyway and don't even defend yourself, that is dying to self. When wishes or desires in your life go unfulfilled and you trust that God's plan is better and hope in Him, that is dying to self. When your advice is disregarded, your opinions are ridiculed, but you refuse to let your anger rise in your heart, but take it all in patient, loving silence. That is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder and irregularity or any annoyance and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you are content with unpleasant circumstances or situations of any interruption by the will of God, when you are content with unpleasant circumstances or situations or any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or itch after commendation or approval of man, when you can truly love being unknown and unthanked and unnoticed, truly love that, that's dying to self. When you see others prosper and have success and have their needs met and can honestly rejoice with them in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and you're in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction and reproof from one of less stature than yourself, when you can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. When you speak up for Jesus in a hard situation or any situation, that is dying to self. It made me think of Sister Tanya 
wait. And we were at Ted's wife's funeral. And there was a lady who was clearly Muslim because she had her hijab on. And um, I love Sister Tanya. Whew. I pray God make me more like her. She walked up to pay her condolences to the family. And she gave this Muslim woman a hug and whispered in her ear, Baby, only Jesus can save you. Woo! We have to die to ourselves to care about what people think when we're speaking for Jesus. We have all these cultural things about being proper. Ooh, proper. Do what's proper. It wasn't proper for Jesus to be bludgeoned like a piece of meat and die on a cross. That's what he's done for us. And will we not speak for him regardless of the consequences? Help us get it, Lord. Help us get the love he has for us and what that means for how we will live for him. Jesus calls us to take up our cross. Jesus calls His disciples to follow Him. Point number three, look at verse 24 again. Then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Jesus said, follow Me. This is sort of like the cash value moment here. What do we get for denying self? What do we get for taking up our cross? We get Jesus. <laughs> there's no sacrifice. There, there's no sacrifice in the Christian life ultimately. There, there's none. There's no way we can talk about sacrifice. We give up everything. We, we suffer like Job. We, 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 we suffer like Paul and all the things he went through. There is no sacrifice in comparison to getting Jesus. None. Is it a sacrifice to give up a penny when you get $20 trillion? Is that a sacrifice? Go sell all your pennies and follow me who gives you $20 billion, trillion, million dollars. That's a comparison. I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not saying if you follow Jesus, you're going to get all that money. It's a comparison, an analogy. Following Jesus is like selling all your pennies, giving away a penny, and you get Him. You get Him. He's $20 trillion dollars compared to your pennies of this world. There's no sacrifice. Follow me. Follow me, he says. We get him. Do we get that? Lord, help us get it. Help us see it. We hold on to these things. We hold on. Oh, I've got to have this. Oh, let go. Take him. The me of me's. He's the me of me's. There's no me like this me. Follow me. Jesus came preaching powerfully like no other. Jesus healed the sick. He cast out demons. He cleansed lepers. He forgave sins. He made the lame walk. He healed the withered hand. He calmed the storm. He called Himself the bridegroom. He raised the dead. He fed thousands of people bread that He Himself created as the good shepherd. He opened deaf ears and blind eyes. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And He calls us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Him. Follow Him. We follow Jesus by trusting Him. By trusting what He's done and what He says. We, we, we follow Jesus by desiring to be with Him. Desiring to be with Him by, by listening to Him. We follow Him by obeying Him, by doing what He says, by, by communing with Him, by enjoying His presence. We follow Him by worshiping Him as the God-man and by willingly suffering for Him. By willingly enduring whatever He calls us to do for Him. Next, Jesus calls His disciples to lose their lives. Look at verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Friend, if you have your best life now, you will lose your life forever in hell. To find your life, you must lose it first. You must lose it first. 
Jesus told a parable once about a man who had his best life now. In Luke 12, 16-21, Luke 12, 16-21, and he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Again, beloved, hear this. If you deny yourself and trust Jesus and make sacrifices for Jesus now, possibly even giving up your own physical life, He will reward you with abundant life now. What is the abundant life? Living for Him and being satisfied in Him. And eternal life in the age to come where there will be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Please, please don't misunderstand me. I'm... I'm, I'm not saying if you come to Jesus, He will give you a bunch of stuff and make you healthy, wealthy, and rich. That's what the prosperity preachers teach. That's what all these false prophets on TV preach. The Joe Osteens and the Benny Hens and the Creflo Dollars and the Kenneth Copelands. These false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing that deny the gospel and lead people to hell. I'm not saying what they're saying. We talked about this this morning in our Sunday school class that if we, if we say, come to Jesus because He'll give you all this stuff. And so you say, oh really, Jesus will give me a car and give me a house and give me money and, and He'll make my life easy. Well, I'll come to Jesus for that. You use Jesus to get what you really want, which means what you really want is your God. What you really want is your God. What do you really want? Jesus or health, wealth, prosperity? What do you want? When I was a teenager in church, I wanted to go home and watch the game. <laughs> but I came to church because that was the right thing to do. People come to church because it's the right thing to do. They're going to end up in hell. You come to church because you delight in God. You treasure Jesus. You delight to worship Him. You delight to be there. You want to be there. You, you love Him. You love Him more than anything. That's why we come. Not because we have to. I love John Piper's illustration to, to, to show this is when if you're, on, you're, you're married for 25 years and you, you buy 25 roses and you come to your wife's door and you ring the doorbell, which you never do, but this is a special occasion, and you, you give her these 25 roses and, and say, happy anniversary, honey. I want to get a babysitter and we're going to go out and spend the night on the town. And she says, oh, why? Why would you do this? Because it's my duty. It's what husbands are supposed to do according to the Bible. Is that the right answer? How does that make her feel? It's my duty to do this, honey. It's what husbands are supposed to do. I read it. Love your wife as I've read this church. I'm doing it because it's my duty. She might slap him. No, the right answer is, honey, because I love you and nothing would make me happier than to be with you this night because you bring me joy. And she's not going to respond, oh, it's always about you. It makes you happy. It makes you good. Ugh. No, no, that honors her. Beloved, it's the same way with God. If we're here this morning because it's our duty, oh, i got to be here. Oh, I have to preach. It's my job. It's what I do for a living. That's why I'm here. Oh, I better resign. It's to be our delight. It's our delight to worship the Lord. It's our delight to obey His commands. Why do we do our duty? Because it should be our delight. Now, I'll confess many times. I have to confess my sins. Lord, my heart's not in the right place. My heart, maybe I don't want to preach. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me that my heart's not in the right place. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore unto me the joy. I'm going to do my duty anyway and pray that you give me the joy I ought to have in you as I come and do what I should do. We come to God for God. We deny ourselves to get the me of me's. 
We pick up our cross to follow Jesus because we want Jesus. And He repays in amazing ways. In Mark 10, we read about this. Mark 10, 28-30, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. There's Peter. We've left everything, Lord, to follow you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the age to come eternal life. Jesus is going to pay us back. In this life, we get the fellowship of the church. We, we get to be with Him. He's going to provide sisters and mothers and fathers and brothers. He's going to provide for us in the fellowship of the church with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Daniel Dorani comments, some people exert more effort to find life, to preserve and prolong natural life however they can. By contrast, Jesus commends those who are slightly careless for His sake. Slightly careless for His sake. <laughs> those who live for self die twice and may never even live once. Those who die to self die once and live twice, now and forever. Beloved, notice in our text, the end goal is to save your life. The end goal is to find your life. Jesus, again, doesn't teach self-denial for self-denial's sake, but, but you deny yourself a lesser good for a greater good. Life, physical life, and, and everything most precious to you in this physical life you, you gain by giving up. Verse 25 confirms and further explains what Jesus taught in verse 24. See, these verses are connected by a for, the for, a reason, because. Look at 24 and 25 again. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For, let me, let me tell you why you should do this, and we're going to get into more whys next week. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. The, the goal is to find true life. And beloved, it's not in the world. I mean, I, I was, I was, I was you, know, you know, the Super Bowl happened and that makes me think about the national anthem and makes me think about the greatest national anthem ever sang at a su Super Bowl, which is Whitney Houston. And so I watched her perform that again. Amazing. I love, I love listening to the national anthem because it reminds me I have the freedom to worship Jesus. I have the freedom to worship King Jesus in this country. But it made me think about her. And so, so much beauty, so much success, so many awards, so much money. And it's not enough. And she dies using drugs. And, and, and think about all the rich and famous people who do that. Happened to Michael Jackson. I remember where I was when I heard Michael Jackson died. All the money in the world, all the fame in the world, all the riches in the world, all, the, all this world they had. It's not enough. It didn't satisfy drug overdose. Think about all Prince. Think about all the famous, rich and famous people with all this stuff, all this success, and it's not enough. They take their lives with drugs, trying to get some high because the whole world's not enough. It will never satisfy you. Friend, if you're here and you don't know Jesus today, that's the truth. <laughs> You don't need to learn it from uh, Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson and Prince. You can learn it from the Bible. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. This world does not satisfy. You were made for something bigger and better than this world, namely God. You were made for God. Those people didn't find their life. They found death. Jesus wants you to find true life in Him. To find your life in verse 25 is the opposite of what Jesus called for in verse 24. Denying yourself and taking up the cross and following Him. To lose your life in verse 25 is what Jesus calls for in verse 24. Self-denial. And the goal is to find your life. And that's what's coming to Jesus gets you. A found life. The best life. The most abundant life. 
now and forever. Ted says this all the time to me, that he, he thought he was having fun when he was out in the streets drugging and drinking and all this stuff, but now he's really having fun in Jesus. Because he changes what you desire. And you begin to delight in the things of God. You, you begin to find pleasure and joy in God and His ways more than all this empty snuff stuff. Emptiness that the world tries to convince you that will make you happy. Paul knew this truth, but whatever gain I had, he found it in religiosity. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This, is the, 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 this, this motto of Jim Elliot illustrates what Jesus is calling us to today. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. What can you keep? What can you keep in this world? You will not keep your children. You will not keep your husband. You will not keep your wife. You will not keep the clothes on your back. You'll lose it all. But you can keep your soul. If you put it in the hands of Jesus, keep your soul forever if you put it in the hands of Jesus by believing on Him and following Him. You, you can keep all the people you influence for Jesus and point to Jesus and evangelize for Jesus. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And beloved, finally, hear this truth from these verses. One human soul is worth more than the whole world. One human soul is worth more than the whole world. Verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life or his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? How is it good for you if you gain the whole world? How good is it for you if you gain the whole world, all the riches of this world, all the pleasures of this world, all the praise and honor of this world, all the success of this world, all the stuff of this world, houses and cars and vacations and money and phones and toys and clothes and jewelry and everything and all the relationships of this world and you gain the whole world and enjoy it all to the max for 120 years and then you die and go to hell forever and ever and ever. What's that profit? What is that profit? Jesus says nothing. It profits nothing. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Life means your soul, your eternal, abundant life now in this world and in the world to come. The inner man destined for heaven or hell. You can lose that. You can lose that. Jesus doesn't want you to lose that. He loves you too much to, to let you lose that. So He's here lovingly warning us today. The only way your soul can be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. By coming after Him. By following Him. Is there anything in this world that you would like to possess more than Christ? If you could have all this world, would you give up Christ? That's a, that's a good question. If, if we had checks for trillions of dollars, you can have this check for trillions of dollars, or you can keep following Jesus, what would you take? We want to be a people who take Christ. Who've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Who, who've seen that Christ is better. Than everything this world offers, who, who come to Christ and say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing upon earth I desire besides you. Beloved, if, if we do that, we, we will, if we see the, the value of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the treasure that Christ is, we will obey Jesus and deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. And the Spirit has to work in us to help us see that. And, and when we get it, we will be willing to suffer for Him. We'll be willing to suffer for Jesus. 
I, wanna, I've, I, I read this to you back in July of 2022, but it's good. <laughs> and some of y'all weren't here, and I remember stuff I preach on Sunday night. So, I mean, I forget stuff sometimes I preached on Sunday night. So this is helpful. Uh, This is an example. I want to hold this person up as an example of someone who has denied herself and taken her cross and determined to follow Jesus no matter what. This is a portion from John Piper's book, Desiring God. Thank you, Natasha, wherever you are. One of the most moving and incredible accounts of suffering, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, is found in Sergei Kordakov's autobiography, The Persecutor. Kordakov was commissioned by the Russian secret police to raid prayer gatherings and persecute believers with extraordinary brutality. But the afflictions of one believer changed his life. I saw Viktor Matviev reach and grab for a young girl, Natasha Zandavov, who was trying to escape to another room. She was a beautiful young girl. What a waste to be a believer, he thought. Victor caught her, picked her above his head, and held her high in the air for a second. She was pleading, please don't, please don't, dear God, help us. Victor threw her so hard she hit the wall at the same height she was thrown, then dropped to the floor, semi-conscious, moaning. Victor turned and laughed and exclaimed, I'll bet the idea of God went flying out of her head. On a later raid, Sergei was shocked to see Natasha again. I quickly surveyed the room and saw a sight I couldn't believe. There she was, the same girl. It couldn't be, but it was. Only three nights before, she had been at the other meeting and had been viciously thrown across the room. It was the first time I really got a good look at her. She was more beautiful than I had first remembered. A very beautiful girl with long, flowing blonde hair, large blue eyes, and smooth skin. One of the most naturally beautiful girls I have ever seen. I picked her up and flung her on a table face down. Two of us stripped her clothes off. One of my men held her down and I began to beat her again and again. My hands began to sting under the blows. Her skin started to blister. I continued to beat her until pieces of bloody flesh came off in my hand. She moaned but fought desperately not to cry. To suppress her cries, she bit her lower lip until it was bitten through and blood ran down her chin. At last she gave in and began sobbing. When I was so exhausted, I couldn't raise my arm for even one more blow. And her backside was a mass of raw flesh. I pushed her off the table and she collapsed on the floor. To Sergei's shock, he later encountered her at yet another prayer meeting. But this time something was different. There she was again. Natasha Zandanova. Several of the guys saw her too. Alex Guliev moved toward Natasha Hatred filling his face, his club raised above his head. Then something I never expected to see suddenly happened. Without warning, Victor jumped between Natasha and Alex, facing Alex head on. Get out of my way, Alex shouted angrily. Victor's feet didn't move. He raised his club and said menacingly, Alex, I'm telling you, don't touch her. No one touches her. I listened in amazement. Incredibly, one of my most brutal men was protecting one of the believers. Get back, he shouted to Alex. Get back or I'll let you have it. He shielded Natasha, who was cowering on the floor. Angered, Alex shouted, You want her for yourself, don't you? No, Victor shouted back. She has something we don't have. Nobody touches her. Nobody. For one of the first times in my life, I was deeply moved. Natasha did have something. She had been beaten horribly. She had been warned and threatened. She had gone through unbelief unbelievable suffering but here she was again even victor had been moved and recognized it she had something we didn't have i wanted to run after her and ask what is it i wanted to talk to her but she was gone this heroic christian girl who had suffered so much at our hands somehow touched and troubled me very much the lord later opened sergey's heart to be glory to the glorious good news of jesus christ as he later reflected on natasha whom he never saw again he wrote And finally to Natasha, whom I beat terribly and who was willing to be beaten a third time for her faith, I want to say, Natasha, largely because of you, my life is now changed and I'm a fellow believer in Christ with you. I have a new life before me. God has forgiven me. I hope you can also. 
thank you, Natasha, wherever you are, I will never, never forget you. When we know Jesus like this young girl, we'll follow him in suffering. We'll follow him in suffering. And I just want to say that the, the sound of that baby crying is music to my ears. I praise God that you're here. Thank you for coming. Little baby, thank you. Thank you for that beautiful voice. Thank you for crying and screaming. I love it when little babies are in the assembly of God and we don't mind you making all that noise. It's joy to my ears. And we love little babies and we love you and we're glad that you're here. Please keep coming. If we know Jesus, we'll suffer for Him. We'll be willing to do anything for Him. And I realize many of us will probably never have the opportunity, the blessing, the privilege, the honor, the gift of God to suffer like she did. But there are numerous little ways we can deny ourselves every day. (laughs) In our families, in our marriages, with our children, children with your parents. Little ways we deny ourselves and say Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's why we deny ourselves. Because He went to the cross. Because He denied Himself. Because He suffered the hell we deserve and rose from the dead. This is why we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Him. Jesus is the King of self-denial who endured the hardest trial to win God's everlasting smile. Jesus calls for self-denial. More self-esteem is not His style. In your own heart, you'll find what's vile. He'll rip it out and make a pile. Against this heap, you'll be hostile. You'll come away from self a while. And Christ is all will be your smile. Since you to God, He'd reconcile. When on that cross, He faced God's trial and rose all glories to compile. For in His soul was found no guile. To take up your cross means death to self by execution. That cross was Rome's death tool, a cruel institution much worse than our chair of death by sudden electrocution or the dreaded guillotine of the French Revolution. Death to sin and self must be our holy resolution. Christ died the greatest death to end sin's dark pollution. On His cross, He took God's wrath, our penal substitution. To all sin, death, and pain, He's the world's only solution. Jesus' call is to follow me. Oh, may God grant you eyes to see the greatness of this one in three who took our sin upon that tree and then rose up to set us free. He truly is the me of me's. And all God's wrath He did appease. And now salvation guarantees. To joy in life He holds the keys. So bow to Him on bended knees. If you lose your life for Jesus' sake, you'll save your life. Make no mistake. He's worthy all else to forsake. He'll give you joy no trial can break. Consider your choice and what's at stake. Heaven and hell, the fiery lake. Believe in Him, His mercy take. And from the dead, you'll rise awake. If you gain all riches and this world whole, there is no profit if you lose your soul. Owning all this world is an empty goal. Since hell's your payment, death's your toll. So come to Christ, He'll make you whole. For He alone can satisfy your soul. Christ Jesus is our great gain. To come to Him He has made plain. We must deny ourselves so vain and die like Him, like little grain. Once planted dies, but springs with rain. One soul's worth more than worldly fame and all you ever could attain. Christ will repay and come and claim His children who will make Him their aim. For He lay dead, was cursed and slain. He bore God's wrath and took our shame, then rose alive to rule and reign and set our hearts for Him aflame. Our lives, our souls, He does sustain. For Him will suffer any pain. He gave us life, broke every chain. Now when we die, there's only gain. Father, we praise You that that's our hope. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Because You, O Lord, are better than all this world can offer us. Father, we pray today that You would help us obey what Jesus has called us to do. Lord, we we pray You would help us deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow You, Jesus. Lord, that we would get 
The motivation he gives us that what does it profit us to gain the whole world and lose our soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Lord, help us get it. Help us understand. Help us be encouraged that, that Jesus, you did this for us, uh, that we might be saved, that we would feel the love of God for us in Christ, that you went before us in doing this, and now we follow you in self-denial and death. And so help us, God. Show us ways in which we're, we're, we're indulging self and which we should be denying self. Lord, show us ways in which we haven't died yet to the things in this world we should die to. And help us do that. And Lord, show us ways in which we're not fully and faithfully following Christ and help us grow in that. And Lord, we do pray for anyone that may be here this morning who has not yet come to believe in Christ, that today would be the day that they believe in Him for the first time and follow Him. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.